Hi friends and welcome to the last episode of the season of Is This Really For Kids, a podcast where I, your host, the attention, decide, is this piece of media really for kids? And wow, I can't believe I did 13 episodes in a month. That was a lot, a big stretch, um, but my Google storage thanks me. I wish I had gotten more guests on for you, but I just have been so swamped. It's really hard to organize my schedule and another person's amidst all of the meetings and things that are happening right now in my life and also just dealing with a recent diagnosis of social anxiety and what that means and really exploring it. It's been kind of just like hard to reach out to people and get organized on that level. Just I'm doing a lot of things and I hope in the next season, which really should be like at least probably after March, not I might continue in January. I'm just kind of going to see where I am, but probably take a break for the rest of the year. But I will be doing stuff on my YouTube channel if you want to see me reviewing more films because I really like to do this and I'm monetized on YouTube, so I might as well fill it up with content and doing this is kind of, you know, easy to do and doesn't take too much and is relatively cheap to make. So yeah, and if I can gain any money, that will be very helpful right now as I am trying to just get a lot of bigger projects off the ground and would love for you to be a part of it on that producer level and you can follow all my donation links below and on my social media all of that stuff helps me get the money so yeah it's it's an exciting time it was a busy time and I'm just appreciative to all of you who listen uh, from all over the world which is pretty exciting when you think about it and I'm I'm really glad you can and have this to listen to it's a really truly a joy and a blessing to create for you all and talk about films and I'm excited to do it with more people and the exciting thing is like I think I'll probably have this podcast my whole life and I'll always be watching like children's media and I hope honestly one day to get to a place where I could have a child over and talk to them about like what it meant to see this movie and and get all sorts of different perspectives because And this is just kind of interesting and it's like a weird little experiment that I'm doing. And I also just think that it's just such a fun time to talk about film and it's just a fun thing to talk about because movies are awesome and I just really appreciate them and I'm lucky to have gotten this close and do things that I I only would have ever dreamed about when I was younger. So yeah, without further ado, I'm going to talk about one of the saddest movies ever. It's honestly though on my top 10 film list which right now I feel like the only other film I can confirm that's on it is Coda, which was going to be the first film that I did this season, but I changed this season from focusing on musical theater to doing just this like haunted Halloween thing because I just ran out of time because I've been waiting for Pinterest to tell our details about our mental health campaign that's going on. And if you want to know more about that, Follow me on socials. Okay, I'm done with the super long intro. It's the last little podcast of the year. So, you know, you got to go out with a bang. But anyway, without further ado, (laughs) you're not even going to believe what I'm going to be talking about. And I'm sure people are going to be mad, but I'm going to be talking about Manchester by a Sea. Yes, I know Casey Affleck was accused of doing some not good sexual things. Probably true. That's like part of the struggle of this character in the movie. So I could maybe see it going in real life because it feels like this man put his whole self in. And I think when you do that, it's just really hard for it not to spill into other aspects of your life as an actor. 
I don't contone him doing it. It doesn't make it right. I'm just trying to think of a possible explanation of why because that's just how my little brain thinks. I don't know enough about the situation to comment, unfortunately, because I just really love this movie because I think it says a lot of amazing things about mental health, a lot of like kind of bittersweet truths. And I just think it's very well done. I mean, my notes are 13 pages, which is a lot. So first off, there's just this angelic soundtrack with beautiful sea shots. They're on this boat called the Claudia Marie, which I think is his father's name for the boat after their grandmother who died. And we see our anti-hero, we'll say, to quote the great Taylor Swift, talking drunk to his younger nephew. I feel like this is just shot so well. Then we immediately go to this like miserable snow shoveling. Two totally different worlds of like being on the ocean and then cleaning up all of the snow. And we see him go through his job as like a landlord handyman where people are complaining about, you know, like he's like telling people, you know, you need a new stoppers. Things are like rotted around the edges, which is like metaphor in that. This movie is so well crafted and how he has to replace like the whole apparatus right replace the whole apparatus the metaphors if you're picking them up you know you know and a lot of people are like oh i have things to do tomorrow i'm gonna have to find time to to deal with this plumbing and he's putting trash away he's fixing lamps he's doing all of these mundane things to kind of take his mind off of something but at this point we don't know what and we have this one lady who's talking about how, like, oh, her oldest daughter had a bar mitzvah and she was bored to death and they were seven hours in a car. And there's another person who's, like, in love with him and he hears because of the way that the walls are thin about how she's having, like, a sexual fantasy about him while he's cleaning shit out of the toilet and... and she even is like oh can I give you a tip and he's like like a suggestion like there's so many like great awkward moments in this movie that are just so real to life like I feel like a lot of people try to do awkward humor and it's never how it really is but the way that the money is given to is just so awkward and then there's another one he has kind of an altercation with he's like hey we got to break through the tile and isolate the leak and recock the tub and she's like she gets all upset and he's like I really just don't give a hoot like I'm really just trying to fix the leak and she gets all mad because he did not say hoot he said the f word and she's like how dare you talk to me like that get the heck out of my house but she did not say heck and then but she's like blocking the doorway for him to exit and he just doesn't talk and so he goes to a supervisor and the supervisor is like look you do good work you're dependable but you're rude and unfriendly and he's like I just want to fix the plumbing and electrical work and he's like that's not like against the law right he's like I literally like just want to make money I don't want to do all the niceties he doesn't really want to apologize but like four apartments have complained so he goes to drink the bar shot is kind of weird but i think that's intentional to kind of get you in the mood that he is feeling in a weird space he's definitely triggered the spill that happens totally looks like it was a spill on purpose and maybe it was maybe it's just a a rough take and just all that they had but they go to get napkins and it was like the woman was just like she wasn't looking the right way she was looking just past him and her name is Sharon and she's a beer smiller but he doesn't really pay attention because he sees some gay men muttering to each other and from his angle I can see it looks like they're talking about him but he gets 
a little too abrasive and he goes you know what the fuck are you looking at me for and the people are like you know what like let's not even apologize to this person and that makes him angry and he fights him and honestly I hate it every time he does this in the movie but this is what a person does in this amount of crisis with this unhandled anger this is toxic masculinity bundled up even for like I understand the reasons why you know what I mean but I but I just hate it but it's great world building so then we hear this conversation about how how his brother died and you can like hear it in his voice change and he is definitely nervous about coming up and it's gonna take like an hour and a half to get there he's gonna have to take off for his job and I think it's really important to note that he moved an hour and a half away from everyone, which isn't super far, but far enough that people aren't necessarily going to visit you. So he gets stopped in traffic a bunch of ridiculous times, and it's unclear if this is kind of the first time he's been back since he's moved. They don't really go into that. Then by the time he go gets there, his brother has passed away. He passed away an hour ago, so he was already 30 minutes in on his drive, and he's too late and I think it's one of those things of like if the tragic event that you don't know at this point in time the story but in the rewatch because I've rewatched this movie so many times because I love it in the rewatch you're like if he he wouldn't have been late had his tragic situation not happened he would have already been there he would have never moved so they brought him in because his brother was working on the boat but then he fell over and his, like, friend who helps work on the boat was like, I thought he was kidding. And they had a different doctor because the other doctor has a baby, which is just, like, so many triggers in one conversation for this poor man. And he, his brother went into cardiac arrest and he just feels really guilty for not being there in time, which is, I feel like, that is the number one regret I've been seeing in this kind of year of seeing grief is that a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't make time to see them, so feel that about anybody go see them just do it for you do it for them because you never know so he wants people to call uncle donnie and call his ex-wife randy and he's now in charge of making arrangements then he learns that the one doctor had like twin girls two girls just like he did which is a lot and she just breaks down that you know it was a gradual loss of his muscles of the heart and people usually live to be like 50 60 years with like the occasional attack and most people feel healthy and live a normal life but the total is usually 50 or 60 years so he had five to ten years at the time and his brother's wife who's not in the picture anymore was like saying that she was gonna quit and gets all messed up and that they were all trying to figure out what to do when he got his diagnosis. So he's remembering all of that in the elevator ride. I really like how they tell the stories of the past in this film. It's never really like awkward. It's really beautifully transitioned. So they hear the sounds of his like dead brother being wheeled out and he walks over and looks at him in the body bag and like, wow, what a bizarre moment that must be. Like, I have not had that moment. I did not get to see my dad die. Like, I just had to kind of just picture it in my head like it was nothing that I saw physically just because they wouldn't let me see my dad's body because he was with his ex-wife who was just didn't like him or like us or who knows what the whole situation with that was either way I don't think my father cared very much but we had this beautiful vulnerable moment where Casey prays over his brother 
and hugs him and it, and kisses him and it and it's so sad but so beautiful. It's just a beautiful moment of goodbye. And I mean, he deserved that Oscar in my opinion, even though he's a terrible person. But Oscars aren't measured on how good you are of a person. You know, Will Smith got his after he slapped Chris Rock. Like you know, it is what it is. No one has told Patrick his nephew and his brother's son, and he's got to like go to the funeral parlor, figure out the boat, sign for all of his belongings, and he goes back to thinking like the last time he saw with Patrick, which he was like messing with him, talking about like sharks and was gonna throw him in the ocean, and Patrick is really smart and is like, well, sharks don't swim in schools, and... Because he was saying that, like, a, a school of sharks is looking for you. And it's such a thing of, like, he's missed out on all these bonding moments with his nephew, too. Uh, and the music is so sad. My film craft professor was like, this movie is depression porn, but I love it. I'm hooked. So he drives around the town a little too long for me. But I think it's just they want to establish, like, a lot of character shots and the memories of just, like, being here. And... They go and like into jokes of the past of where he was like, oh, Misery Island, that's where me and your Aunt Randy got married, which is just like mean. And the fireplace in the shot, y'all, there's just so many things. And we cut back to where he was with his kids, which obviously we haven't seen. You'll find out why. Where he comes drunk home and he like asks for a hug from his daughter who's watching TV. His wife is sick. And he talks about how he caught this, like, 18-pound bluefish. And his wife is like, hey, can you just get the humidifier? I don't want to hear about your fish. I had to go through so many fish guys on Tinder. Just kidding. They're a little older for the Tinder game. But I just wanted to make that joke. Anyway, she is not feeling lovey because she is very sick. And she just put the baby down. And he picks her up. And he's like, I know how to handle him. And... He loves the sea and she's like, well, because how many beers were on the sea? So he had eight, but it was over a seven hour period, but that's 1.74 beers an hour. And so he's cutting down and then he gets on top of her and she's like, just take a shower and jack off because she doesn't feel good. And he's so happy and he just like kisses her when she's sick, even though it's hard to breathe. And like, I feel like everyone's been there. So then we cut back to the present where he has to talk to the principal and he sees his nephew fighting on ice almost as if like maybe he just like knew and like that like weird coincidental thing where it just kind of like manifest and then he sees his uncle and then he knows that something is happening and so they say that he's benched and he's like Ask me if I give a shit. And the coach is like, what did you say? And then they realize that, like, his father is dead. And Patrick immediately thinks that it's bullshit. He goes into shock and denial. And the coach, like, is trying to, like, get everybody, all of the other team of the hockey things, like, away. And, like, the fact that he had to tell him so suddenly in there and didn't, like, pull him far away from other people is a lot. But also, I would not suspect the character that Casey is playing to be like well versed in the best way to tell his nephew that somebody has died like the man does not know you know what I mean he does not have that kind of training of like here's the perfect way to tell him you know and there probably just isn't so it's just very interesting because we see the shot of like he's telling him far away we don't really ever hear that conversation and the coach is like you know everybody mind your own business you know take a break and there's this beautiful moment where everybody in the team like just kind of goes out and like all stands around him in support and are just like being there for them. Like it's it's very beautiful. Patrick is obviously like kind of a very popular kid and 
Patrick cannot even process, but they hug him, and he skates away from everyone, and it's like, you know, from now on, he's different, and he just, and then he goes and he sees his father, who looks dead, and then, I love this one bit where they're like, sorry, I misused the English language about the car, because... Casey got all nervous about hurting or losing Patrick, which I could understand with his history. And they keep saying things that are like common where it's like, at least he didn't suffer. Although I definitely think that a lot of people do suffer when they die, probably. I'm sure it's not a pleasant experience and that's just like a reality. And it's so sad the way Patrick leaves when he sees his dad and he's like, yeah, okay, thank you. So then his friends are already at his home when he gets there and he doesn't have the bleeper to hit to get into the garage. So he he gives him money to get some pizza and Patrick just reminds me of my brother so so much so this movie is that's partially why the reason I love it because that's Patrick is like the same it feels just the same as my brother like very very similar person so he says that Sibby sleeps over that or his dad always let her who knows if that's the truth no way to clarify now you know so Casey's like sure she can just sleep downstairs and he's like oh can you just pretend she is and like he's he's brave to ask that I do not have that courage but I guess that's the difference between teenage boys and girls you know and Casey's just very confused he doesn't really know why he's being asked I don't even know if his name is Casey and the real thing I'm just calling him Casey because I never remember his name so it is what it is y'all in my favorite movie I don't even know all the details but he's like very weirded out and he's like why are you asking me like I don't even know these people that you're talking about like this is just like weird he's not ready for this responsibility even though he like would have been a parent but it's just like just too much now and he's like you know should I tell you to use a condom and not to make too much noise and it's just very like interesting too because it's like any of these traditions with his dad or things that his dad told him not to do like all of that is gone in this space and Patrick is like can you just please call my mom but nobody knows where Patrick's mom is and we go to this memory of where his mom was passed out naked on a couch when he was little and was like clinging to his uncle and peeked to try to see what was going on with the mom but it seemed like there was like a drug problem because like the dogs are barking like she had overdosed but Patrick writes her an email the subject of the email was the dad probably telling him and then we cut to them they're going to funeral homes and Sivvy that's over is like making food very noisy and which is probably just like very distracting from what Casey is used to with his normal peace and quiet and he's kind of telling Patrick the game plan and so he's like well does he need to be here with this so she's very very outspoken and it's like really weird because it's like well you guys came into the kitchen because he's like on the phone talking over all the funeral home stuff trying to figure out like how much cost and stuff and the coach then also brings Patrick in is like you know I'm gonna forget about your language and your fist but he's like I think you need to take a few days off of hockey and Patrick's like but I could really use the distraction and he's like you know when you're on the ice you got to be there and I understand like you can cut people's neck with your skates so it is probably something to be really focused in but I also think it's kind of wrong like I think that's like what people really do with a lot of mental illness stuff they're like okay we're gonna take away like all of the activities and it's like I think you need to leave some of the activities because that's life and like they often make I feel like most people like it is like good to have the distraction like it kind of just feels like he was punished for his dad dying and the coach opens up that you know like I lost my dad too when I was your age and that you know like just hockey can be dangerous like so you got to be present 
So then there's like loud music and they're talking about how like the lead guitar is weak and they all sound the same on the radio because he's having this like kind of moment of that he didn't really get with his kids about like listening to like the different music that they like. So then they go to read Will and it turns out that the brother left him everything and he's panicking because he's like, I cannot be his garden. Did he update it? And he's just really taken aback. He's like, I live in one room He's like, I can't commute from Boston. And they're like, well, relocate. And he's like, your brother worked it out really carefully. You, There's $5,000 for moving expenses. You know, you can draw from his personal income, settle in. And I, I really want to accept, but I understand why he doesn't. And they're trying to see if they can get like the Uncle Donnie who's in Washington, but he doesn't have like a special relationship. And oh, his eyes in this, like, man, it would just be hell to live in it though I think I don't think I there are some places like it's like so many traumatic things have happened you just have to get away or else you think about them and it's weird that spaces can have that much impact but you gotta get out so he's just really shocked that his dad didn't run it by him and he's like I guess he probably knew what he would say and so then we cut back to the past where he was ping-ponging and his wife's all mad because they're being really loud and the kids are sleeping and then he, she leaves and she's telling like everyone to get out and he's like she can't talk to us all that way and then they laugh and she's like I'm not fucking around it's two o'clock so she's like get dressed and get out and he's clearly been drinking and partying and he doesn't want to drink and drive he's like directing all his friends out who are also way too drunk to drive and they're joking they're like do north follow the star so he's still joking with his buddies and then it's time to go get yelled at by his wife and they're still all laughing and they laugh and he decides you know he just couldn't sleep so he makes the fire and then he walks on the ice because he's too messed up to drive and they're cutting back and forth and there's some sad music to build the tension and he got some beers in the store and the chips fall because he's got lots of stuff in his hand he was doing coke they didn't put it on the screen of them doing that which is honestly very smart i don't think you always have to show the drug use to be like they know we're doing drugs like it's like you just have it off screen and then he sees the fire truck passing his house and his house is on fire and then he's screaming because his kids are in there and then people are just like watching which is terrible music is so so sad and his wife is like strapped to an ambulance with like a thing in her mouth to help for breathing and he tries to help get her away and tries to hold her but she turns away and she and then they can't get up the gurney and the brother is holding him and he's just like dead inside and then we see the body bag of his like children which is awful and it sucks because it's like i mean that was fires happen they happen a lot in california so it's just awful and he is just like yeah i cannot stay in this town i have to leave i mean the music is just so hot digging this you guys and then we go to when he's with his dad and his brother in the police station and he's telling them that he's basically guilty he's like i we i was doing beer coke i had a joint and his face is just so terrible just just wrecked and he's like you know the bedroom is downstairs the kids are upstairs he was gonna go to bed and it was freezing upstairs but they can't use the central heat because it dries off dries out his wife's sinuses and gives her headaches so he was watching tv drinking some more beer so he put fire to warm up the house and 
when he was gone because he wanted his kids to be warm, but it's like such an overcalculation now. And so the mini mark is 20 minutes each way. And he was like halfway, he couldn't remember if he put the screen on, but he kept going. And the furnace blew, so he couldn't go back in. And the police are like, okay, well, we'll call you if anything comes up. And he's like, the forensics bail you out. And he's like, wait, that's it? And he's like, yeah, you made a horrible mistake, but like a million other people but you know it's not a crime to forget to put the screen on and he's like unless something comes up like your innocence and so they stand by him for a second and then he goes for the policeman's gun like the desperation of this man in this moment is just haunting and so he goes for the gun and then all of these police officers are just tackling him but the safety is on so it doesn't even work and they all tackle him and then it cuts to seagulls flying because when in doubt as a filmmaker, cut to seagulls flying. So Patrick is just really mad. Patrick is so mad. He doesn't want them to sell the boat. He thinks that he can take care of it himself. And Casey disagrees. He's like, if you can keep up the boat, I'll reconsider. Patrick is only 16 years old, so he's still a minor. And he like asked, <laughs> I love this question. Are you fundamentally unsound? And then Casey's like, yeah. And he's like, you know, we just can't, you can't do the boat. The motor is breaking down. And he like asked the friend who like helped out with the boat, like, hey, will you be his guardian? Like just trying to get, I guess, out of the responsibility, which is pretty wild. And it's like, he's like, I already have a lot of kids. And he's like, but I'm willing to like watch him on weekends and I have a sofa for him when he wants. And he's just like really stressed out about the logistics. And but then he finds out that his mom is in Connecticut and emailed him back and Casey is like you know what like I just I don't really think your dad would have wanted you with your mom they also find out that there's no really funeral homes in Manchester so to drive a little bit more just the tediousness of life you know and so the funeral directors are always kind of weird I don't know if that's really the case the funeral director I saw last was very very hot but it turns out that it's too cold to bury him so they're gonna have to bury him in the spring and they have to put him in the freezer, which really freaks Patrick out. And he's like, why can't they like steam the shovels? And then they park the car the other way. So they have to turn around. I don't know if that was like an added thing because this conversation was longer or just like a human thing. Like this feels like somebody's real life. So they can't use heavy equipment in a cemetery for whatever reason. I don't really understand why, but the plot is already bought. And he's like, if you want to make other arrangements, you can do it. And Patrick is just very nervous because it's like he just feels like his body wants to like move on. They can't find the car because it wasn't paying attention, which in like in stressful moments like these, you probably wouldn't. But eventually they do. And he goes to band practice over at his girlfriend's house. His two girlfriends don't know each other about each other, which is terrible. But teenage boys, they're allowed to do whatever. Doing strictly like basement business and... Oh yeah, because Casey's trying to figure out, he's like, oh, are you having sex with them? And he's like, well, I'm not playing computer games and I'm I'm just doing, you know, basement business stuff. And he's like, which means he's like working on having sex with them, which what a stud, but very, very bad. Anyway, he actually has an amazing band. I love the way that she dances. It's so crazy. And they always yell at the drummer. They're like, what are you doing? You're way behind. I also love that he didn't cancel 
band practice in the light of anything. Like, I think it's good to have a distraction. At least he had this, too. I like that he both does hockey and is in a band. Icon. So, the mom comes up to his uncle and is like, hey, they're wrapping up. Do you want to come in and have a beer? And he's like, no, I don't. He just doesn't want to engage. It's super awkward. And she's just like, you know, my condolences. He was really a terrific guy, a wonderful father. And she's like, hey, why don't you stay for supper? You know, I made way too much. And Casey's like, oh, don't worry, I'll just come back. And they're like, well, at 930, that's when they do homework, supposedly. Ha ha. And when they're making out, Patrick and his other girlfriend... You can, like, hear the mic tapping, which is kind of funny. And they can't figure out how to, like, unbuckle her pants. And then the mom is, like, checking on him because, like, the uncle is just, like, not talking to her. <laughs> like, and it's super awkward. And they're, like, making all these noises and, are like, have to pull on their pants before so their mom doesn't, like, catch them. And they're like, oh, no, this math homework is really frustrating. And so then Patrick is being a kiss ass to the mom, but just really appreciates the mom's cooking. And then Randy calls just to really add things on and says that she's sorry and asked how he is. And Patrick is good, fine, but it's like hard to tell how he's doing because he like doesn't open up a lot and he just has a lot of friends and so Randy is like, well, if you're planning a service, I'd really like to be there. It would really mean a lot. And he's like, oh, yeah, of course you should come and I'll let you know when. And then she finds out that she's pregnant, ready to pop. Like, oh, my gosh, just like the situation would be so hard. And he's like, oh, I didn't know that you were pregnant. And she was like, I didn't know if I should tell you. And he's like, listen, it's fine. Congrats. And then he's alone. And then we cut to where they're hugging at service. The doctor is there. Randy is there with her boyfriend. They're hugging Patrick and crying. And it's just so painful. Like he cannot focus on her. He can't, like, not focus on her because he just still loves her. The step back of, like, slow motion, the hugging her, they probably needed it. And he's just punishing himself for life. And I am shook by it. Patrick's phone goes off in the funeral. The two girls are both there. And then Patrick's like, oh, I want to have Sylvia over. And he's like, no, because I don't like her. And... He's like, well, you don't have to talk to her. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Sorry, go to her house or call your other friends. And he's like, I can't stay there. And he's like, well, sorry about that. And then Casey's going to stay in the guest room. And he's like, stay in dad's room. He's like, you want to? And he's like, it's a better room. And like, he's not using it. And he's like, yeah, well, we're not going to be here much longer. And he's like, uh, what do you mean? Like, you're a janitor. You can do that anywhere. Like, all my friends are here. I have hockey, my girlfriend, my band, all of my life. I have to stay here. And Casey just gets that he's not gonna get it and he's just gonna go to sleep. So he's just feeling the grief. So he flashes back to a memory where they were helping him pack to move and he was feeling, like, suicidal and they were like, you know, like, call people if you feel like that. And his brother, like, makes Patrick come say goodbye. I guess his name is Lee. And he promises, like, that he's gonna see him. And it's so hard, too. Like, his brother lost his own nieces. And when he drives off, Patrick says goodbye. And he's clearly, like, very upset that he had to go. And then, ugh, when the meat falls out of the freezer and he can't get it to close. And it's just, like, hitting the fridge. 
it won't shut and then Casey comes down all nervous because he heard slamming and the guy's like I think something's wrong and he cries so brutal and he's like I feel weird I think I'm having a panic attack because he couldn't get it shut and he's like what do you want me to do do you want me to get rid of food like oh this moment is so beautiful and he like desperately wants to help and he's like just take me to a hospital and he's like or call his friends and he's like freaking out and then he like opens the door and breaks it because he was so nervous which is just really really wild and he's like well you're having a breakdown he's like I need to probably just take you to a hospital because you're freaking out and when you're freaking out you can't close the door because I think he also has like known how he's felt at like moments of severe like panic and and the things that he's done and he's like Patrick's still just in the midst of a panic attack and he's still freaking out and he's like I don't want to go to the hospital and he's like and I don't like my dad in a freezer and then Casey is just like you know there's really nothing we can do and so he just sits there until he calms down and Patrick is just like trying to get him to go away but he's felt the same and that's like what he needed and he just wait until he sleeps and yeah I really just I love that moment that's probably my favorite moment of the movie and the one that I memorized the most like I think it's just it's absolutely brilliant it's well crafted it's well done it's amazing so then we go back into the memory where they're showing off the new place it's like kind of a minimum wage room there's a little window he doesn't have any furniture and they're like well we got to go get furniture and he wasn't gonna get any and then Casey is like hey you we can at least stay here until school lets out because that'll give him some time to like set things up and Patrick is like well are you asking or telling me and he's like you know it's only 45 minutes away and Patrick's like no it's not it's an hour and a half and it would be really tough to like move that late in your high school career like it's just a rough I also <laughs> my one college friends and I used to just laugh all the time I'm like oh are you going to Godspell because it's just so obnoxious and he's like oh yeah I'm thinking about it and Casey's like oh are those your girlfriends too and he's like they wish so he's saving for a new mortar because he really wants that boat still and so he moves into his brother's room and then like punches a window because he's seeing like pictures of his kids and is just like losing it and lies to Patrick and says that he just like cut it and he just didn't know what happened and then he finds out that Patrick's mother called but he was vacuuming so he didn't really hear what she said and Patrick's like well my mom tried to call and you didn't tell me she wants me to come to like Essex to have lunch and meet her fiance but she couldn't get in touch with me and he's like I just didn't know what to say and Patrick's getting all mad because it just feels like his uncle doesn't give a shit he hates his mom and won't even let his girlfriends stay and he wants to go live with his mom and Casey's just like yo you can't and he's like but she's not an alcoholic it's like the same bus I'd be able to keep my friends drive the boat and he agrees that okay like you can go have lunch with her and Patrick's like well why can't I also stay the summer and he's like Casey's like I have work and we go to like moments where Casey was like talking and they're like I don't want to see him in here again and there's like no way for him to get work because it's like a small town business and they all knew what he did and it's just so rough so rough and Casey just calmly explains you know like they can't afford to keep the boat and Patrick's like take a loan like I'll take a loan and he's like listen I'm in charge of your finances until 21 I'm not comfortable with getting a loan and so he drives back and then he had promised his brother that like he wouldn't let him drive until he was 17 and Patrick opens up that Sandra mom likes him which is good for both of them 
And he's like, hey, can you just please hang out and, like, talk to her? Like, help me out. And then they're, you know, fooling around Patrick and his band girlfriend, banging out those compound fractions, as they say. And the mom is like, well, at least I know where they are. And so they're trying to use the condom, but there's a lot of interruptions. And then he almost breaks her dollhouse, which she kind of freaks out about it because her grandma got it for her when she was a little girl. And then they're trying to fuck, but like downstairs, he's just like sitting in silence. It's super awkward. And so they like hurry and get dressed. And she's like, listen, can you, and her mom, and they try to say like, wait, we're trying to work. And the mom is just like, simply like, listen, like, I can't sit down there anymore. He will not talk. And Patrick's like, well, he likes spurts turn on a game, but it's just like, there is a game and he's just being boring. So Patrick just is like, you know what? You're an asshole, but maybe he was trying to sabotage or maybe he just really is that awkward. I have no idea. He definitely has been like avoiding human contact and is just like messed up as a person. So they're going to go meet his mom. He's nervous and he's like, you know, just like text me if anything gets weird. And then his mom goes, is that my Patrick? And it's like literally because she hasn't seen her fucking kid and it's just awful. So then Ferris Bueller, who's looking rough, but honestly plays this character very, very well. They all exchange like an awkward hug and he leaves and everything is just very proper and so polite in his house. They have to like wash hands before you eat and prayer and are very, very formal and... Mom is like, oh, you don't have to be formal. Like, this is your home. I want it to be. Like, things are different. And she then keeps leaving, like, the stepdad and him alone. And the mom seems pretty nervous and very, very Christian. And when Patrick is telling the story to Casey, he's like, we're Christian too. We're we're Catholics. We're Christians. And he's like, you know, there's just, like, a lot of Christian guilt. And the mom is not drinking and it's not in the psych ward. But Patrick just kind of learns. It's, like, crushed. It's, like, such a heartbreaking email. Because, one, it's not even his mom. It's from the stepdad. Like, she's being controlled and it's just awful. The stepdad is, like, you know, you need to write to me to arrange further visits. It's just awful like just so controlling and controlling men love to prey on women who are coming through that and Patrick gets all mad because he just thinks that like Casey will do anything to get rid of him and basically his other plans fell through man I would have forwarded the email to the mom but maybe that wouldn't have even happened so he tries to get the Sandy girl to come sleep over but he doesn't let him and he's just starting to get depressed he's like looking at the guns in the cases images of Patrick and hockey and then Patrick has this idea of like you know why don't we sell the guns for the motor for the boat and he's like let's just sell the boat and he's like but I just I want the boat so let's do that then I think the other girls find out about each other and Casey doesn't like that he knows about the two girls and then we run into Randy with the stroller in the probably the second most beautiful scene of this because it's her in the stroller with the baby and Randy is just like you know it wasn't your fault and she wants to talk more with him and it's super awkward and it would be in real life right and he Casey's like, you know, I don't have anything big to say. And she's like, that's okay. And she just, you know, kind of touches base. And he's like, you know, we're getting Patrick settled in. We're doing pretty good. And she's like, she talks about how like she kept in touch with Joe and Patrick. And she's like, can we ever have lunch? Because I really miss you. And he's like, wait, you and me. And she's like, I said a lot of terrible things to you. And she just 
brilliant, just brilliant performance by Michelle Pfeiffer, just amazing. And she's like, I know you never. And he's like, I don't want to talk. And she was like, my heart is broken and it's always going to be broken. But I know yours was broken too. I'm going to cry like just fucking a beautiful. And she was like, I should burn in hell for what I said. And he's like, no, no, you know. And she says that, you know, she loves him. And he loves her, and but he's done. He can't do it. It's too much for him. And he just has to go. And she's like, please, let's just have lunch. And he just couldn't even agree. Like, why? I hate that he does it. Because it feels like he chooses to die. And it's just awful. I also love, she actually says that. She's like, you can't just die. And he's, and he gets all defensive. And he says he's not. And she's like, you know, you deserve to be happy. And she's like, you know, he's like, thanks for saying that. Because I don't think he ever really believes it. Or will maybe ever feel happy at like the fullest. Oh, so sad. Depression porn. She's like, I don't want to torture you. And he just goes because he's like, crying I mean we're all crying as hard as they are in the scene and then he goes in a bar and fights and I hate it but of course he would he just basically bumps into a guy and is like oh sorry and then he punches him and everybody's looking and it's just chaos and he goes to the hospital but nothing is broken even though they like hit him with a baseball bat it just was a really really bad day I guess I'm just so sad that he just like can't drink coffee and I'm just so sad that he didn't heal with her and Patrick just is like not knowing what to do and Casey is all sore from the fight and is sure that you know like now his wife's also gonna hear about it which is great and he just panicked and wanted to suffer and I think like the pictures are just driving him to be more sad and Patrick is like can I get you anything and He's like, no, it's okay, thank you. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to bed. And sometimes the lines are so simple, but they mean, like, so much in the screen. It's just masterpiece, masterpiece. And then Casey has this dream where the daughter wakes him up and he's like, can't you see we're burning? And he was, like, dozing, but there is smoke in the house. And he wakes up because the pot was hot and he burnt the sauce, but everything is okay. But he's super triggered and he's sleeping all the time. And he takes a nighttime drive and he's and he talks to his brother's friends and he's like, he got a job in Boston, but Patrick doesn't have to move in Boston. He's going to go to Charlestown where George is going to take him. They're going to rent out the house until 18 and at 21, it's your decision to sell or keep it. They're going to hire out the boat and they're going to help him get his license and then they'll figure out what happens from there. He's still a trustee, but he's going to transfer over all of the final stuff but they don't have to move and he's gonna have the other friends adopt him and Patrick is just like so what's gonna happen like are you gonna disappear and it's like super emotional my third favorite scene just because it's such a reality gripper just beautiful and Patrick is just like begging him to stay and he's like why can't you stay and he just goes I can't beat it and my heart is just broken in that line like it's just so sad that he believes that he can't beat it but it's just honest and it's true and like sometimes you can't and the way that he's just looking away is just incredible and he cries and life is just so tough and unfair sometimes and so then we go cut to the spring where the stick is against the cemetery gate and they're checking to bury and they talk about how his father was like an excellent chess player and a personable man and they have the tuna boat because it was in their family, I think, since, like, 1959. And it's not that dramatic. Like, nobody ever returned. Like, we don't really ever find out, like, what happened with his, like, his father and grandmother and everything. But they sign the will while Patrick texts. 
there's a baby crying at the funeral. They have the plot with the father and mother, who is Claudia, who the boat is named after. And after they're getting ice cream and bouncing ball. And in July, he's moving in and he doesn't really have a place to live yet. But he has an apartment with an extra room and a pull-out sofa and is encouraging Patrick to go into college in Boston because he has room for him. And Patrick's like, you know what, I'm not going to college because I guess his band's going to take off for his hockey career. And then the movie just ends with them walking in the woods, tossing the ball, and he is letting it go and catches it and tosses the ball in between each other and, like, things aren't perfect, but they're okay. And then it cuts to them being on the boat fishing in this beautiful thing, and that is Manchester by the Sea, and this is one of my favorite movies, and it's just amazing, and I can't watch anymore because I will just cry and cry forever, but it's a feel-good cry. It's a cry that matters, and more films like this should exist. Obviously, it wasn't very diverse, but it's not really about a diverse community, but it's brilliant. I think it should be a stage play, but I don't know how it would work out, but I love it so much. And yeah, so that's a wrap on this season. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. You never burn your children accidentally in a fire. Sorry, that was like a ending send-off for the two of them. I would definitely say this is for an older person. I feel like maybe a 15-year-old could handle this if they're mature enough. I think it's a really great movie about grief, which and there's not always a lot of tools to deal with that, but I think this movie does it very well. But yeah, let me know what you thought. Feel free to go to my socials and tell me. Tell me what you liked about the season. Tell me things I can do better. Let me know if you'd like to be a guest on the next one. We've got a lot of cool stuff. I think I'm going to do my high school theater-inspired podcast, which would be a lot more than I did this season. It'll be like 32, and it'll it'll be a time, but I'm ready to push myself and excited to do so so we'll see how it happens and how it all plays out but yeah let me know what you thought of all of this and I hope you enjoyed the season and it would mean a lot if you could follow me on social media and donate because right now I'm working for free and I would rather not but I still love this podcast so I think I'll probably do it until I also die but Yeah, I hope you are all well. As always, too, if you ever need any help with mental health resources, feel free to message me and I will help you out. Have a good one and thanks so much for tuning in to the second season of Is This Really For Kids? I hope you all are having a joyous, playful adulthood or childhood, no matter what age you're listening to this. And yeah, watch Manchester by the Sea, listen to all my episodes, watch our films that my production company is making, and check out my page for more on our mental health campaign and appreciate you so much. You're amazing and you got this. Bye.